You know how you have a pressure cooker to cook food? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what started happening. And I was keeping a journal, too, because I've been keeping a journal since 69. And I was like, I think I'm going to lose my mind if I don't start writing again. <laughs> yes. When, when I put up... actually tell me, he'll, he'll be, you're, you're being a bitch. Go, go start writing something. Oh, yeah, that's why I have an attitude. Anything at all. First thing I wrote, got accepted by Twilight Zone magazine. I uh, did that. I quit for probably five or six years, um, and I had never published. I'd never even shown anybody my poetry because I grew up believing that it was a thing that you did in private, you know. Um, um, But uh, then in 2020... Uh, when we did the Carpenter's Farm stuff, it kind of, you're right, it was, there was a, like, a pressure valve there that just blew open. And since 2020, I think I've written about 600 poems, so. There you go. See, that's how it is. And I mean, I, I came to my senses with that. I was like, clearly my last words on this earth are going to be part of a poem, so I might as well just get with that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it's what we are, all of us. Um, and Deb mm-hmm. sells herself short. She's a fine poet. Oh, um, People like I have, that. Mm. Like, I just dabble. I'm like, okay, whatever. You said. I've, read, I've read her poetry. <laughs> I'm a couple uh, on that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there is not a person here who I don't consider a fine poet, and I even sometimes look in the mirror and think of myself that way. So. Yeah. You're in a shame. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think the world of, of your work, the world. I, when you start I doing did. stuff out on Twitter, I was like, WTF? Who? What? <laughs> and I wasn't the only one. I wasn't the only one. I know that. It's hard for me to accept that, but I appreciate it. I did sneak the recording on just because there was some gold coming out of your mouth there a little while ago. So, what? just so you guys know. <laughs> Recording. Well, try not to curse. I try not to get caught cursing. <laughs> I can control I have, I have long since given that effort up, man. <laughs> Shane can curse for everybody's life. Well, I was born with an F-shaped pacifier <laughs> in my mouth. You know? <laughs> Saying, when I'm around somebody new, like at a convention, one-on-one, I'm like, so how do you feel about the F-word? Because literally every other word is. When I'm being taped, I try to keep it. Not. I will say crack. I will say a whole lot of things. <laughs> um, I'm better with my well-mannered British co-host than I was on Ankheist. On Ankheist could have very well just all been spelled out with uh, swear words. <laughs> we didn't, you know. For uh, them, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a terrible I'm a terrible cusser. But I'm also my grandmother's son, or grandson, I guess, but son, whatever. Um, and uh, she always did her best to make me temper my tongue in the presence of ladies. Pardon that sexism. Um, but uh, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> Just got to practice some more. We'll do one-on-one conversations because I'm pretty damn good at it. <laughs> I'm not good at not swearing. I'm <laughs> really good at swearing. <laughs> oh, okay. So, well, since we're recording, how about if uh, um, we start with uh, Linda 
Well, I'm going with the alphabetical thing right here. And why don't you give us a brief um, introduction to yourself and maybe read us a little poem to give some a little bit of flavor. I could do that. So okay. I'm Addison. I have several books of poetry out. I've won several Horror Writers Association, Bram Stoker's Lifetime Achievement, and um, the Science Fiction and Fantasy Poetry Association's Grandmaster Awards. So I have a very shiny resume. <laughs> and um, the poem I'm going to read you is from an anthology that came out in 2020 called Miscreations. And the purpose of Miscreations was that the, the theme was God's monstrosity and other horrors. Okay, so... You were going to say humans there, weren't you? I should have worked. No, I was Actually, there's an anthology coming out called Human Monsters. Yes, I have a poem in there, too. <laughs> I don't know how these things happen, but they do. Um, so let me just bring it up. Okay. So, yeah, this is from 2020. And the poem is called One Day of inside slash out. Most believed it was a special effects hack. Videos of people shrieking in pain while skin flash burned to muscle and bone. Within seconds, healed to gray leather epidermis, leaving horrible naked creatures in human shape. Behind locked doors, others' skin instantly flayed, then closed in thick, ropey scars, resulting in living things with useless hands and feet, writhing on tiled, carpeted, wood floors, mouths twisted open, incapable of denying their past. Cameras dropped onlookers froze as leaders' courtrooms events witnessed eruptions of flesh, splitting with molted purple infections, leaving limbless nightmares behind, out-of-control egos, now resembling squirming, hideous movie creations. No one knows what caused the day of reckoning, permitting remorseless, ugly insides to erupt out, carving deep in dermal stratum repercussions of previous actions. No science could fix the living malformations that remained. Proof of free will misused. So that's one day of Inside Out. Wow. Thing I'm muted. <laughs> well, damn it. <laughs> I know I've forgotten what I said, but I loved that. <laughs> oh, thank that's you. Cool. 
And I, I just uh, want to make a comment. I mean, anyone who's who's heard me talk about my poetry, anytime I mention something like about the skin and stuff, that's all like truth. Like, this is a part of me that just loves nonfiction. So I will look up as I'm writing, like, I'll sort of go down and look at certain things so I can give you some true things. Uh, now, that's interesting. I'll, I'll come back to that. Remind me, I want to talk about what, what we used and how we approach things at some point. Um, I very much do the same thing to an extreme degree. And I started doing that after talking to you about that one poem in uh, Weird Tales. Um, but, uh, that was, uh, Linda Addison, who I didn't introduce, but she needs no introduction. Um, and next up is Angela, I'm gonna massacre this, Eureka Smith. Oh, you did it perfectly. Excellent. You're on it. I couldn't figure out if it was gonna sound like an E or an I, so I just took a shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and honestly, I, I'm, I grew up with uh, everybody saying Eureka. So, you know, Angela, Eureka, I found her. So as long as you don't say Eureka, I'm, I'm cool. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. I grew up with everybody in school calling me Chung King and thinking it was really super funny. But uh, I really like my name, so don't fuck with my name. Exactly. Who you are. Disappoint those humans. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, Angela, same thing. Give us a little introduction and um, uh, read us a poem. Okay. Uh, my name is Angela Eureka Smith. As you so aptly said, um, the Eureka is Shimanshu, which is an indigenous people out of Okinawa. Um, so, like Japanese, but completely different. Um, just living alongside, I'm... Uh, Two times Bram Stoker winner as of this last May. I just got my certificates yesterday, which was pretty cool and a surprise. And I published Space and Time magazine, which Linda is our esteemed poetry editor of. And one of the major reasons I decided to, to take on such a crazy thing as a magazine was because she was there. So we all, we all love Linda and yeah, you are the reason why Space and Time continued, Linda, so no pressure. <laughs> You're speaking that it continues. <laughs> You're the reason why I stepped into it and said, yeah, all right, like I'm not Thanos, but um, you know, maybe we do something." <laughs> That's beautiful. Turned into a page after page magazine. Um, I love it. I do. And that pretty much sums me up. Um. I can't think of anything else. My my resume is not as shiny as Linda's, but I like it. It's okay. <laughs> Your resume is shiny as hell. <laughs> Man, thank you, Shane, for taking that word and saying it. Shiny. <laughs> so do you want me to read a poem? I keep dropping oh, out sorry. for some reason, so if I seem like I missed something, I might have missed it. No, that was, I just actually was doing my usual and just sitting here mute. So, oh. um, yes, <laughs> we would love for you to read a poem. Okay. This is one I just wrote uh, pretty much this last month, um, and it was kind of a, an outreach of just being tired of all the stuff that was going on, which is still going on. Uh, we haven't really stopped, so I may keep on writing poems like this for a while. But it's called Enough is Enough. <clears throat> enough is enough. I will not apologize for being myself. 
And you, looking at me, looking at you, looking away, both of us nervous. They say our eyes expose our souls, our windows to our dreams, ugly, awkward things falling from, falling from ashen skies with tattered wings. We're told the things we love are wrong. There is no music in our song, not in a cover-up to hide our stars. And happiness is always just a tomorrow's tomorrow away, and we're never good enough for today. Enough is enough. I will not apologize for who you are now. Because you are perfect, really, but not in the microplastic way where we're told to think outside of the box, but don't get out of line. An art is an investment, an NFT with an NDA, not a J-O-Y. Call the FDA to get an inoculation against free-thinking speech mind, because we all know there's no free lunch unless we vote for the right masters, disasters of democracy. Whether red or blue, none care about you, because we're just GDP and bottom lines being kept in lines. When they draw the lines between you and just us, and divide us from justice by sorting us with color, texture, and size. And enough is enough. Who is my brother's keeper? Who is my sister? You are. This isn't a black thing or a white thing or a yellow, red, pink, or rainbow thing. This is a control thing. You can swallow the red or the blue, but whatever way you swing, it remains the same thing. A matrix of lies. A web of control designed to keep us off balance. They shake drama like keys, and we say thank you and please when down on our knees, demanding rights but accepting shackles. They keep our ruby slippers hidden away with the holy grail of last week's mail and Elvis. And enough is enough. They can keep the payment plan. Love isn't a debt. This is an eight of swords moment. We stand blindfolded and mute, degraded and berated, never good enough for company. Unless we buy the more, more good china, free miracles for infinity installments. They say to be sheep and trust and let them shepherd. No snake oil sold here. Hush and swallow. Don't spit. Keep it down. Stop trying. Keep buying. And enough is enough. But only when we decide enough is enough. We don't become enlightened by staring into the sun, but by learning to see in the dark. And that's it. Wow. That's amazing. Oh. Major That's wonderful. Oh my god, yes, I love the rhythm, I love everything. You threw that tarot card in me, I see what you did. <laughs> That's my little secret message. Oh, I the bombs are only in our mind. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, uh, that was breathtaking. Um, okay. And I think so important, too. Um, it's, a, it's an odd thing that... People have been saying to me lately, and I keyed on your, your wind-up, which was perfect there, um, how horrible it is what's been going on with my eyes and my vision and whatnot. Um, and it's not really. It's a temporary thing, you know. And I've been through worse things in my life, you know. Uh, this ain't going to kill me. But learning to see in the dark, um, there's so much more meaning behind that than what anybody is reading on the surface of it, I guarantee yeah. that. Um, yeah, this um, is actually um, me butchering a Carl Jung, uh, is it, I always want to say Jung, but I think it's Jung, uh, quote. Yeah, and he says, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. And that's where that last line kind of was me rewriting that, because that, when I read that, it hit me. of like, yeah, why, why do we always, we have this tendency to be like, don't acknowledge the darkness. Don't acknowledge the scary things. Pretend it's not there. You know, but that's not how we're going to make it. No, no. 
So let's start out then with this poem as a good lead into. Let's start out with uh, what I think of as the biggest question of my life um, as a poet, and that is, what is your responsibility to the world as a poet or to yourself? That's a big question. I mean, do you want? Did you want to say who you wanted to say? Oh, sure. Let's start with that. Then uh, let's go. Let's go for. Howdy, Jamal. Sorry, um, Linda, Jamal, Angela. That in that order. Well, yeah, for Jamal, no question. Jamal, here the question. No, not yet. Uh, Jamal, uh, Jamal Hodge. Everybody, thank you for joining us, Jamal. Um, hey, good. Y'all have hey. had a. All, th- all three of you have had an exciting month this month. Huh? Busy, busy all around. Um, so, what was the question? The question I just asked of Linda and Jamal and Angela was, what um, is your responsibility as a poet to yourself and to the world? And starting with, uh, let's go, Linda, Jamal, Angela. So, I mean, I've been asked this question before, and I think part of it is because I'm black. And then, you know, that's a whole community that is, you know, that I'm associated with. Um, but I don't feel like I have to be conscious of whether my work is reflecting the black community because I am black. I believe that when we write, we're writing through our life anyway. So whatever we write is going to reflect our life, whether it is explicit or implied. And the only biggest responsibility I've had for 50 years when I've been writing is to the voice that I hear coming through me. I write very organically, so I am constantly trying to find that authentic root to what I hear and put it down. That's the thing that is is like my biggest thing to hold to. I'm sorry. I know. (laughs) Uh, that's interesting. Um, it's something I just read this morning. I don't remember where. I think on Twitter, probably, because, you know, it's the source of all information. Uh, but uh, it was a woman, a poet, who said, you find yourself often as a black professional poet or person of color who's a professional poet also being a professional person of color. Um, and I can't, I can't really, I'd be lying if I said I could relate to that, but I can see, it was like, I think it was Miles Davis said, Miles Davis referred to Louis Armstrong and other guys like that as smilers. Um, and that was essentially the same thing, a professional person of color, um, an ambassador from white people to black people, sort of, you know, and... I don't know where I'm going with that, but I just find it really intriguing. I think it's really an intriguing concept, and sure, whatever. I don't care what people mm-hmm. about my book. Right, right. The thing is that I insist on being treated and reacted as a human being. Right, right. As a woman, not as my age or anything else. And if anyone can't do that, then, you know, I hope you get reincarnated as a fully evolved human at a later point. Just, you know, right. I got... Right, and that, that was 
you know, kind of me too. Um, I can't imagine being put in that position where I'm being judged not only for my work, but for how I represent the color of my skin. You know, no white person can imagine that, I doubt. But. Being black in America, and that's a whole nother conversation. Hell yes. Um, I, I'd just like to not have to do that. Can you make your voice louder, Jamal? I can't, uh, I, I can't imagine how it's like to not. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Sure, I don't know, but I do know, yeah. Um, and uh, Jamal, yes, sir. your turn, my friend. Same question. Well, I mean, I knew Linda was going to take the best one. I was going to say that was the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, I mean, outside of what Linda said, you know, the great Linda Addison, um, I would say... Um, I feel like my my only responsibility is to teach is to teach people how to be brave enough, have the courage to be vulnerable enough to tell the truth. Yeah. You, you know, I think that's my responsibility in my poetry, and the only way to do that is to have to lead by example, because mm-hmm. it's kind of like the things that are most painful, most you know, the things that are most deep are the most universal, you know, you know, mm-hmm. the most personal, the most universal. So the more I can rip my heart open and I can show people um, the beauty in that, the more they'll be encouraged to search for that within themselves and mm-hmm. to maybe um, harmonize um, their mm-hmm. own perspective um, with the world, you know. And then once you can live yeah, that truth, because, you know, so much, so much suffering comes from resistance to truth. You know, mm-hmm. most pain and suffering comes from that. So, um, when you teach people, I mean, for lack of a better word, how to submit, um, to their own greatness <laughs> by, by, by being brave, um, by being vulnerable, open, you know, courageous. I think that's that's what we are really trying to do as um well, I'm really trying to do as a poet. Um yeah. Um that's a that's a damn good way of looking at it. I think it was um either Linda, um the great Linda Addison mm-hmm. or Steph Steph Witovich, Stephanie Witovich, um, who said uh early on to me that poetry was uh like a self-exorcism for her and that resonated with me really really hard because that's just exactly what it is for me poetry isn't people picture you kind of you know envisioning butterflies and sunshine and trees when you're writing your poetry you know but the, the fact is most of us are bleeding you know <laughs> so. and that's what drove me to your poetry Shane when you put it out it was just so beautifully human and raw. I loved it. I love it. Thank you. Um, and we are all, Linda, Jamal, and I are all going to be in Chiral Mad 5 soon, I believe. Yes. Congratulations. So, and that was my first acceptance for money. <laughs> Ooh. Awesome. 
but uh, Angela Rico Smith, um, same question over to you. All right. Um, pretty much what Jamal and Linda have already said, I think we're all kind of saying the same thing. Um, to me, it's it's going with the authenticity, making sure that I'm writing what's real from me and not trying to write to somebody else unless we're doing a call. And that is, you know, Taylor making a poem for something that we're going to get paid for. That's different. But that's also authentic because I want to get paid. So, because I got to eat, which is an authentic thing. But uh, mostly it's writing from authenticity. But I would say first, from from your point of view or from me, from, uh, you have, like, you know, when you're on an airplane, you have to save yourself first, they always say, put the oxygen on you. So, first, I think I had to write poems for me to get, you know, that self-exorcism out to save myself. And now I can use my poems for other things because I feel like I'm on a, a stronger foundation. Yeah, sorry, I was mute and I didn't want to start talking until I... Um, I agree with you, and I I did the same thing. I mean, obviously, nobody read my poems until 2020, and I'm 58 years old, so Mm -hmm. it took me a long time of writing for myself, and a long time of not writing at all, too, you know, to figure out, Mm -hmm. and to have the courage, even, to put it out there in the first place. That's um, the only thing I ever did harder than that was to come out publicly. You know? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, in a way, it is, it's still coming out. You know what uh-huh. I mean? It's like you're coming out as an artist and as a creative entity, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah, and if you've had a lifetime lifetime mentality of keeping that private and to yourself, it takes some, mm-hmm. uh, takes some hardcore self-training to make yourself turn around and go the other way. Yeah. Worth the wait, Shane, though, because the stuff you put out is awesome, baby. You did a thing, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. Um, Every single word is a village, though. You know? Um, All my people around me, supporting me, holding me up, keeping me going, you know? And uh, that is, uh, that's what, but that's what keeps me coming to the table every day um, and doing the writing I do. But, it's, or rather, what keeps me putting it out, but not what keeps me coming to the table. What keeps me coming to the table is a primal call that there is no choice, you know, um, as we've all spoken about. Um, but I would also like to get um, uh, Steph's input on that question. Um, Steph is... <laughs> Steph, <laughs> Steph, <laughs> Steph, <laughs> Steph, <laughs> Steph is... On the responsibility, I think it is key as long as you are true to yourself. Because I think when you look back over the centuries, poets, when there's a breakdown in, you know, in control and authority in various countries, even now, the people that the governments go for are the poets Mm. and the writers, the journalists. And I think it shows how dangerous we are as, <laughs> although we might not look it, but, but we are with what we can put out. So when you write, you have to, do have to write your own truth and not what anybody else wants you to write because 
I mean, we talk about writing for a call or, or for something or other, and then you're you're just shaping it to somebody else's view, and that might not be the real view, but it has to be you because otherwise it just doesn't work. I think the words that you put together, provided they are you, will always work. It doesn't matter what form. And I was talking to Shane the other day, and I've mentioned it to other people, that I enjoy writing prose in my books, and I will still write those, and they're, they're hard work. But poetry is, I, I find it easy in a strange way. I can just write, and I don't have to worry about form or shape or anything else. I can just be me. I think the poetry is more me, actually, than my books. It's how I play with words, how I try and evoke emotions. And I think, ultimately, poetry is emotion. The message is the emotion that it implies. And if you can reach somebody that way, because it does speak to people on a very sort of basic level, it really hits, you know, people can get the get their feelings from that poem quite easily. You've got to be responsible with what you say, because otherwise you could send them, you know, if somebody's depressed and you're writing a poem and it's not a true poem, but it's it's something that, I'm, I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but it could it could send them even further into a deeper spiral. You've just got to be, you've got to consider how you're writing, how you're putting words together and that you're being true to yourself and not using somebody else's experiences. I think if you put other people's experiences into your poem and try to use them, then it comes across, it, you know, it, it just doesn't doesn't work. And I rambled all the way through that. But, <laughs> but that's, no, I think that's what you're saying is good, though, because that's the, the, the power of poetry is in the connection. So when we think we're isolated, and so we're writing our truth, when we put it out there, when we publish it, or when other people read it, we find that other people feel that same truth. You know, so I think that's kind of where that connection and that responsibility come from. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think you... Go ahead. I just wanted to add while, while I was listening to that is that the most important thing to me is what I hear inside. And not I am not responsible for how someone reacts to what I write. And the reason is this. I've used this example before. If you use the word apple in your poem, and you're using it to symbolize one thing from all the moments of the life, your life, that you've come up to, it represents one thing. Someone else can read that word, and it might cause them great pain, because you don't know in the moments of their life how that word comes to them. We can never, ever know that. All we can do is write it to ourselves. And accept the fact that someone else, everyone else reading is going to have a different experience and some people are not going to like that experience. There's nothing we can do about it. That's our job. That's what I hope. Point of view, anyway, I'm not saying it should be everyone. Honestly, yeah, I think um, that's why people get really aggravated with me if they ask me um, what a particular poem is about. Because I know for a fact it's not about the same thing to them as it is to me. It's like, find your own truth in there. You know, this is mine. And, uh, honestly, poets seem like they're being brutally honest, but in their own way, they're, for me as a poet, I'm kind of selfish as a poet, because you don't get to know what I mean, you get to feel what I mean. And if you don't, I'm sorry, it just wasn't for you. You know, so. 
but then you get but then you get the people that say, Oh, I don't read poetry because it doesn't mm-hmm. make sense to me. Right. Right. Mm. Do, you, I was gonna say, do you think that's why dark poetry, especially is on the the rise, it's having a very good moment at the minute, but it seems to be people are reading it more. Do you think it's more accessible than what we regard as mainstream poetry, which can be very literary, very wordy, very worthy even? Well, see, I've read horror poetry that was exactly what you just said. I don't know that that has the thing with it. I think it has uh, as much to do with, I've mentioned before, um, when I did my um, keynote speech at StokerCon, the fact that the world has been living, the entire planet, doesn't matter how what color your skin is, how much money you got, the whole planet has been living under fear for two years. And that fear has sensitized people to a point where they are not so much fearful of dark poetry, of dark novels, of dark movies, because now that sense is more of a, a um, an echo of the of the fear they can't control. But they know with our work, it's when they finish, they close the book, and all is the same. But they don't know that that's the same when they go to the store to get a, a you know, bread. They could come home and it'd be a whole different situation in their life. So I think that has a lot to do with it in the last two or three years. I, I was going to add to that. Um, I was going to add to that that I, I kind of feel like it's good to make people feel what they fear. So they can realize for themselves that they're, they're like the light in their own darkness. You know what I mean? Um, to kind of pull themselves out. So like, a lot of times, I, I think when I write dark poetry or whatever power, whatever people want to call it, I'm trying to use darkness to show light. I'm trying to, um, and however people perceive of that in their own experience, whether they get, it's good to be offended. I think the, the, the fact that people try to avoid being offended so much, it, in modern times, it, 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 it's kind of developing like a worse spirit in the people. It's making people a, a lot more nihilistic and a lot more, um, uh, I don't want to say selfish because to be human is kind of to be a little self-centered, you know? We only have our own experience. But like, just, just like neurotic. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so you kind of have it's kind of like, I think it's good that um, we offend people with our poetry. It's good that we force them to confront what they're trying to ignore and what they fear. It's good that they hurt. It's, it, it's healthy to hurt, you know? And, and mm-hmm. give people that realization through um, the written word, through that experience. I think when they, once they leave, it gives them just a little bit more courage to face it in their life because it's like, oh, it's not that bad. I've I, I, I tasted it and it's not that bad. So then they can yeah. take on a little more and then a little more and a little more. So that's what I'm hoping, like, uh, what the poetry does, at least from my end, you know? Um, I actually love that, um, especially right there where, where you started out with, you can be your own light, you know, pull yourself up yeah, out of your own. I already wrote down. Jamal and I have talked before, I mean, and he's always talking in poetry, and I'm like, wait a minute, i got to write that down. I, yeah. I thought you'd write it down. They are, they are the light in their darkness. Jamal, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to impress you, Linda. I'm trying to impress you. You always do. You always do. <laughs> See, it's working. 
Um, it is, and honestly, man, if I come to your poetry, um, and and it doesn't hurt me or make me think or make me, you know, I'm, I I want to feel intensely, and I want it to tell me something. I want to teach me something. I want it to make me cry or angry or laugh, you know. Um, so, you know, that's and you guys do that, you know, um, very very well. Um, I haven't read you yet, Jamal. I confess, I looked for work Ooh, and but I haven't a time. You are three, baby. <laughs> um, I can tell just from talking to you, though, you're a brilliant young man, so I am looking forward to it. Thank you, Shane. I appreciate you, man. Um, I just appreciate you calling me young, so. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody young. To- I don't have to hear that so often these days, man, so. <laughs> I haven't heard that since I was 14. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I would like one of my other co-hosts to jump in on this. Um, <laughs> I've been taking all I've been taking all the limelight here with the questions. So. But, but we, we love to hear your voice. You're not you're not only the one that's really quiet. It's only me and Steph carrying all the questions. It's good that you're taking control of this one. Here's my passion. Okay, I've got a question. Um, as I say, that dark poetry is on the sort of rise at the moment, and a lot of people are coming to it. Uh, starting to read it for the first time, maybe starting to write it. Who would you recommend somebody new to this field to, to read? And how, if they were to start writing and they were asking for advice, what would be your tips for them? And I know it all sort of feed into what you've already said about truth and personal responsibility, but okay, so who would you start then reading first? What do you say, Angela? Um, well, I'm I'm gonna say Genevieve Flynn and Lee Murray are two poets that are like pretty brand new. Um, Genevieve Flynn actually wrote her first poem. I know everybody's so tired of hearing me say this. Her first poem she ever wrote, "Win and Tortured Willows," and then it won, I think, the Royalist for in Australia. I'm yes, probably yes. saying that wrong. Yes. So no, no, I'm, 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 I'm saying it. What what was it? I said yes. I was saying yes to yes, that's the award. I wasn't saying you were saying it wrong because I don't talk that good either. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I make up my own language because I can't really I get a grasp on everybody else's quite. <laughs> I call what my wife I, I call what my wife's my wife's language tiggerish, so I understand that. <laughs> And then as far as advice uh, for poets, I would say don't be afraid to be broken um, when you're writing because being broken, which kind of goes along with, kind of goes along with what we've been saying, but, uh, uh, you know, through throughout this. But when you're broken, that's, that's how you heal. You know, you have to get sick before you can heal. And it's always much better on the other side. You know, anytime anybody who's had a migraine or a big illness or anything like that, when you get to the other side, you pretty much feel immortal. The only way we can get to that feeling of immortality and, you know, that essential, this is what it all means, that vitality is by going through something. Mm-hmm. So do that in your poetry, and then let us all read it and be voyeurs. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well said. Um, I can go next. I'm not sure. Jamal, Jamal is like, 
Mm-hmm. Jamal might be having a few issues here with coming. No, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Oh, I'm trying to get something. I'm doing it on my phone, so. Ah, uh, Well, why don't you go next, Jamal? I'm sorry I took over, Shane. I can't help it. I'm old as a knife. I mean, I really like what Angela was saying because, you know, I, I, Lee Murray and Genevieve Flynn, like, their work is incredible. Like, it's really, it's really, it's really incredible. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good people that I would think. I think um, Max is good too. Maxine Gold, he does a lot of unique, um, oh, yeah. dope, dope things. Um, I, I think, um, who else I like? I mean, I'm new, <laughs> but I can't see myself, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, um, there's also myself. Um, there's also, um, it's hard for me to know as a new, newer poet. I only started really like, I've been writing my whole life since I was a kid, like, and like, I don't even know, maybe three, five years old, six years old, but I've never, I, I've never really started writing poetry until like about six, seven years ago is when I started, and I didn't start getting published until, I think the first poem I ever got published was through um, Space and Time magazine, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like Linda. Yeah. So, so, um, there was... That was that. my second... <laughs> <laughs> there is there is that so like I don't know if I have enough experience in the game to be saying who's new right um even me thinking of like uh Lee being new as a poet is, is strange but um yeah that's that's what I kind of would say um you know uh, those, those are people whose poetry I really enjoy um that really like spoke to me, but in a way, because they were so different from me. But then we had these universal things or truths that I can share. So I got to experience life through a different perspective and feel beyond, you know, my own boundaries. So that's why I'm here. So I will. I, I got to find my sheet of paper stuff. I have to. I, I just two because originally I had on my list Jamal Hodge and Maxwell Gold because that, you know, Maxwell writes mostly prose poetry, you know, very weird, uh, otherworldly stuff and I friggin' love it. And Jamal's poetry goes right to your heart. Um, and I love that too. Um, but since they already been said, I'm gonna say two others. <laughs> I just um I just finished reading uh a collection by I'm not sure how to say this correctly, Sunis S O O N E S T Nathaniel. He's from Nigeria. It's not out yet. It's called When Flowers Grow Teeth. Oh. Amazing. Oh, I get chills. I got chills amazing poetry that mixes, you know, and again, like Jamal, I like poetry different from mine. You know, I mean, it's like mine that's fine too, but something different always brings energy to me. And Sunis's poetry is very earth-based, na- nature-based. There's magical, you know, this word you go and look in there, and it's like the magic tree in this part of Africa and all this stuff. I love that. And at the same time, he talks to human Things, as Jamal said, no matter what we all write, we're all humans, so you know we can relate to those things. The other one, 
Oh, man, I wish I had a brain. It was a gentleman that I met, that I saw again at Nikon. Um, it'll come to me, but I just finished reading his poetry collection, and again, it was a poetry of his life with humor and, you know, from when he was young. I'm going to find it because I don't want to be talking about it and not know, but from, from when he was young all the way through and also has social stuff in there because he's black and how growing up, like he talked about his first kiss and his this, that, and the other, but also like you grow up in this country, you have experiences with somebody suddenly having a situation because of the color of your skin. And he just said it in such a beautiful way. So I will find, oh, I got it, Gerald, Gerald Coleman. And that's coming out in August, I believe. Um, I think it's the backhand of black or something. It's an awesome title. I can't remember, but Gerald. <laughs> he's black and he's black. You know, black his name is Gerald and he has a <laughs> drink of <was> black hair. <laughs> right, the title is black in it, but the cover is fabulous in the title. I'll find it so that I'm not just talking off the top of my head. But those are two that I just, just read, but I usually just mention Jamal and, and Max because, you know, I love both of their work. Yeah, thank you both of you for mentioning Maxwell, because I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I not mention him? He's one of my favorite poets. He's why I even know what prose poetry is and fell in love with it. So, thank you. I've got sort of two questions now. One is that I read somewhere, Jamal, that you have got a collection. I read a reference to it, but is it out? Well, will it be out soon? Um, I'm hoping so. I'm, I'm talking to two different um, publishers. They're that interested. Um, it's, it's done. I'm just, um, maybe I'm being a little precious about certain things about it. The flow of it, the ebb and flow. Actually, um, actually Lee wrote the forward to it. Um, and, and, you know, it's been reviewed. Um, I got a blurb from, um, this, uh, great poet I know named Linda Addison and, um, <laughs> a couple of people. Um, so, I mean, all the pieces are in place. I, I just want, they just, a few final touches. I think by September I'll be ready to start getting it to come out for next year. Um, right now the working title is called The Dark Between the Twilight. Um, and, and, and it's really, um, it, it, it basically covers, um, my own life's journey, um, indirectly, um, through the general sensation of traveling from darkness into 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 gray into twilight into light and how i i i've i've had like four major um stages in my life four major transformations um from the darkness of of my youth um into i guess the light of my adulthood so i really wanted to um do something a little eclectic um where you go through these different poems that really dark in the beginning, um, dealing with sadness and, 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 and loneliness in, in, in the middle, then the humor and, and uh, of living in the city, kind of funny, into like the, the, the revelation of the truth of things, um, the space of like non-resistance, um, where like kind of like all freedom kind of lies. So I was just wanted to give people that journey and for them to go on that journey with me. So that's what I'm trying to do with it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I read some of your poetry on your website. You do that monthly poem. 
Yeah. And then you had what there was one one or two in the Risling anthology. Um, of course, I, I was finding your poems here, there, and everywhere. And then I saw the reference to the collection, so I sort of toddled off to Amazon or wherever. And, oh, it's not there yet. So yeah, yeah it's, it's coming wait, out. I promise. I promise. Uh, it's coming out too. Next year, I have a few things that um, I'm working on that I'm going to be releasing. Um, uh, some some with um, two two of the, of the great poets on this call, Angela and Linda, also as well. We're, um, we're doing a little anthology thing. Um, yeah. and, um, so, you know, there's it, it, it a few things. So I'm, I'm very excited about next year. Um, get my first collection out as well as, well as and then two different anthologies. So, And also, let us not forget, Jamal did something I didn't think anybody could do. But before I say what that is, the name of, of Coleman's book is On the Black Hand. Oh. You know, and I think, I think it's a thing of On the Back Hand, but that's just me. So here's the thing. Jamal and I have known each other for a while. He's an amazing filmmaker. Has won awards, lots and lots and lots of awards. Said to me one time, "I'm gonna make a, I want to make a film based on one of your poems." And I was like, "Never heard of that, but as long as it ain't killing babies, I'm gonna support it." So, <laughs> so like, Jane, take that out. So anyway, who <laughs> is often known to be inappropriate. Anyway, so he he did a script that won a lot of awards, and then a film, a short film called The Morning Meal, like Morning Loss, not Good Morning America. Un-friggin' believable. Based on my poem of the same thing. So, yeah, Mr. Mr. Jamal over here, Hodge, has writing, film, documentaries. He got a lot going on. I don't know. I think there's a cloning situation, and he's not sharing wrong, too. Yeah, we need that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll give it away. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a lot of... Uh, a lot of support and no kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. That's really what it is. Have, have, you, have you got something that you can read for us tonight, Jamal? Yeah. I do. Um, I, let me uh, see if I can actually, on this phone, bring, up, bring it up. Bring on it up, screen up screen yeah. Can, can you guys still hear me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Beautiful. All right. Let me just find it now, and I'll read. I'll read something. Um, truly effed up, just for y'all. Okay. I think I have it. So this one I call Arscape of Evils. <clears throat> it's in the dark between the twilight. Arscape of Evils. Burnt orgies of intolerant undoing, the great unmaking, demanding the degradation of beauty and the unprecedented malice of peculiar craftsmanship. Continental gardens of a two-legged crop, vomited forth in the violated image of God, sprout ghastly imaginings of massacred flesh, ascending mortal conceptions of evil, to howling art form, 
to baleful science. Behold the frightful method, meticulous formulas perfected in the organic machinery of stitched organs. Nauseous martyrs of willful vanity seduced to a one-sided affair, sacrificed to horrid pleasure, compilate without rest, thrusting through grotesque transformations applied in living death. The herded audience refined through timeless degradation gazes upon unspeakable works with unnameable sounds. Woo! Yeah! Beautiful. That's them all, right there. Damn! <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful, man. Yeah, it's, it's just about the way, you know, it's about evil. And how, yeah. how it's like an art form. It's, uh, you know, darkness is, in a sense, at a certain level, becomes art. Mm-hmm. So, about that. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, for some of us, it's the darkness is the art, I think. Um, but it's an interesting question, too. Uh, let's go um, to Maul first with this one. Um, um, do you consider yourself a horror poet? Or any yeah. type of a poet? Um, I consider myself, like Angela said, a broken person. Mm-hmm. That had to heal themselves, but the you know the cracks all glued together, so they stood there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a shattered vase uh, in a vase, you know what I mean? And it grew all mm-hmm. together. It's whole again, but you can see the broken parts. But um, so I, I don't know. I, it's hard to define that as a hard. I mean, I, I have aspects of me that's a hard poet, but then I write. I can write about the beauty in a in a woman or mm-hmm. a butterfly or you know what I'm saying you know how how we don't butter, how butterflies can't see their own wings their own beauty like kind of like that that's how human beings are as well you know things like mm-hmm. that I can write about um, so I mean I think I'm a human being I think I'm most faceted I think a aspect of me is a hard writer a hat aspect of me is a poet. An aspect of me is a playwright or a filmmaker, or I think it's just all storytelling about the human experience through our own lens. So I don't want to be too vague about it, but if I was just to give you a, a general answer, yes, I am a hard poet, but I'm also an urban poet, a black poet. Um, there's a lot of facets. It's like a lot a kaleidoscope of terms that we can attach to ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Excellent, excellent. Um, I don't consider myself a horror poet at all. I just consider myself a poet. I'm, uh, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like niches, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, Angela, sorry, I'm changing up the order because I like to do that. <laughs> Keep us on our toes. <laughs> Same question. <laughs> I uh, I think I would agree with you that I don't consider myself a horror poet. That just tends to come out a lot. Um, but just a poet um, in general, there's an art form that I think of. It's a visual art form, but I think of it with poetry a lot. as like a metaphor for poetry. And it's called kintsugi, and it's uh, I think it's really popular in Japan, but it's the art of putting together broken pieces yeah. of pottery and ceramic, yeah. but with gold. Yeah. So you get these pieces that are, 
like veined with gold and they're more beautiful than the original. Um, and they're a different piece, but they're this made of the pieces before. And, uh, and so I think of Kintsugi a lot with poetry and that's how I, I would like to be a poet, not a, not a horror poet or any kind of poet, but maybe a Kintsugi poet, as in I'm taking the broken pieces that I find in the world and trying to knit them together into something stronger, different, possibly better. That's, that's judgment, you know, that's up to the reader, I guess, but. Um, no, I, 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 uh, am pretty much in line with you there. I had never heard of that term, but I love the imagery, um, you and Jamal both used, uh, metaphors for scars and cracks and mm-hmm. things like that. And, uh, really that's, I think, my poetry too is just a, an assembly of all the broken pieces. You can still see the scars and the scars are important. They, they are what make the beauty in the end, I think. Um, same, same to you, Linda. Hold on just a minute. Just mm-hmm. a Beauty, I got right here. Um, <laughs> we're just going to have a whole new poem at the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> you have one poem. I got almost 300 journals because I'm always hearing things, mishearing things, oh. reading things, misreading things. That's where all that stuff comes from. So, um, I was actually thinking of that, Angela, when Jamal was talking, but I couldn't remember the term, that, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful concept with the gold. Um, yeah. I am just a poet, and I was no, I couldn't have been more surprised when the um, horror community uh, embraced my work, because I have written out of all the poems I've published, there's very few of them that have like a vampire or a monster in it. They're all... Uh, psychological darkness, I'd like to say. So, um, I am just a poet, but you know what? If calling me a horror poet makes you buy the book, then I'm in. Because I just want to be my book. Amen. Amen. What kind of poet do you want to call me? Buy my books. (laughs) (laughs) I have silly poetry. My poetry collection to people is like, I don't read poetry. And I'm like, I didn't ask you to read. I asked you to buy it. Yeah, you have to I don't care if you read it. <laughs> Pay my bills. <laughs> so, you know, there you go. Um, hey, have you got time for us? I could have. That's it then. I, okay, somebody ask another question while I look, because I have ADHD and it takes me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You have um, to ask me the first question, otherwise we'll be here for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> what, I can what add on the question, question and then we'll waiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, prose poetry. I find, I enjoy reading it, but it's something I cannot write. What makes a successful prose poem? Hmm. Damn. Well... I mean, I got one published in um, Title Nine, um, called Parable of the Blue Man, which is about um, an inner inner guy talking to a policeman who just shot a black teenager. Um, so it's like consciousness and stuff. I think I think like a lot of times, like I guess how Shane was saying that he, you know, we kind of write our poems for ourselves. It's kind of like being a little bit more selfish. I think um, a poet poem 
is more it's almost like doing that, but also doing it in a in almost a filmy kind of form. Like like the visuals is really strong and important, but that there's also like a narrative thread um, throughout it that's very coherent and and, and and clear, but the form that it takes maybe not so much. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think if you, if, if, if you have that, and um, I almost think of it as almost um, visual snapshots as well. Like the visuals are so important to a prose poem, maybe even more so than a normal poem. Yeah. It could just all be emotions, and it could all just be um, thoughts, you know, ideas. I think you need like a, a, a strong visual element to a prose poem. That, that's, that's, that, that takes it to some sort of narrative. So that's why. I think it's one of the harder forms because I love form. I just actually got a dra- drab bun written in this new anthology called the Drab Bun Anthology, D R A B B U N. It's a very specific form. It has a hundred words. It has this. It has a haiku. I mean, I've never seen it before until someone, until Francis Alexander's like, Linda, were you want to write one? I was like, I don't know what it is, but sure. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, prose poetry has been hard for me to wrap around the rhythm dance of it. I think Jamal really, I mean, you can look it up online and they'll, they'll try to describe it to you, but I think the description he has given is very much what I think of. It's, it is like watching a film with words, even though all poetry can be, but more so. And that's why I really liked when um, I worked with Maxwell. I have a corporation poem in his anthology, in his book, which is prose poetry. I mean, I think it is not as easy as you think. It's not just sentences put together. There's sentences in a paragraph with the word the taken out of it. It is a very specific rhythm that is not easily defined. I actually can, I'm, I maybe shouldn't announce this, but uh, Alessandra can get mad at me later. <clears throat> but speaking of prose poems and Max, we're coming out with a collection called Mobius Lyrics, and mm. it just got picked up from Independent Legions, which is uh, Alessandra Manzetti. Oh, okay. But one of the reasons we wanted to do that is because I write pretty sparse. I, I do like an economy of words and a lot of haiku, and he does prose poetry. And so that we thought the two of those, it's a call and response. So we would each take the same subject, like say death or mm-hmm. racism or, or anything like that. And then we were doing, personifying it and then answering each other. Like why would, what would entropy say and what would, you know, mm-hmm. the opposite of that say. So I'm really happy with how that turned out. It was really fun to work with him on that because we're so different. But we had a lot of conversations about what is prose poetry. And in my mind, it's set to, like, if you're on a bus, and this is the way I think of it, if you're on a bus and you're riding and you see somebody on a bus stop and you pass by, you're going to get an impression of who that person is. You know, they're wearing an overcoat or they're male, they're female, they're, you know, long hair, short hair, so you can, you'll make assumptions about who they are. And if they stop, if the bus stops and they get on the bus, so that would be a prose poem in, in my mind. Um, you have an impression, but you don't know the whole story. And then if that person gets on the bus and you hear them talk on the phone and you, you find out more details, like they have a child or, you know, anything like that, and, you know, they're struggling or somebody just passed away, then that is prose. 
Yeah, it's not that. It's just it's a very hard thing to get your fingers around. But I think what Angela said is true, which also kind of brings very true of what Jamal was saying. And I'm so happy about this um, collaborative uh, book, Angela. And reminds me of the Foundling book that Stephanie yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. That was crazy. So add them to that list. That book is some kind of award I got. Like, you know, do I put that up with the other stuff? It was amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Since what you were just talking about, it was collaborations. This seems to be a very rich field for people to do that with each other. Um, So I've worked with Cindy working with Shane and I know that you've worked with each other and other it's it's like it's like a very tight knit family almost. We seem to be finding ourselves tighter and tighter to each other with all these little compilations that are appearing. Oh I was just waiting my turn. Um I kept checking Make sure I'm not muted. Um, okay, I wasn't, I was unprepared for this, so, and I don't consider Blame. myself a good reader. Blame me. Everybody needs to hear your words, Shane, so uh, I just threw you in at the deep end. Uh, hey, really, ha- throw him, throw him. I have, uh, I have, this one is in my collection, which is currently called Moth Flimsy, um, but that has yet to be 100% approved by a publisher, so. I will say that's the working title. Um, uh, and if anyone is curious, that term refers to many things, but mostly my neurodiversity because my brain is full of moths. Um, <laughs> um, it's called Hourglass. Uh, my heart is an abyss. I can't climb out of Time feeds on me, and I burn bridges and bury love behind me. Particles of self fall victim to gravity, inexorable decay disseminating me, and I cling to the hearts that fall before. They drag me down into a deafening spiral, a grinding gyre, churning, devouring everything, and my heart is an abyss I can't climb out of. I am pinhole beginning a tear in the fabric, a widening gap in reality and falling through into me. The black and fathomless singularity of myself con- consumes me. Um, that's... Oh, no. Sorry, I don't know my own poem. I poured hope into a hollow vessel, and now it's sand resting in the bottom of my hourglass. The rushing in my ears. It's the sound of time killing me. My heart is an abyss I can't climb out of. That's all. Wow. Wow. Chill. Chill. I love that. As you, you. always do with your work when I read it. Yeah, I thought that. Thank so. you. I thought Thank that. you. Thank you very much. Now it's your turn, Steph. Okay. <laughs> I will do one from Foundlings then. Yeah. And I'll have to find it. Uh, here we go. This one, I think. Oh, yeah, this is based on two poems by Alessandro Mansetti. Uh, the sources were I'm the Lair and Kolkata's Little Girl, and it's called How to Disappear. 
His cockroach tongue crawls on her dirty skin, reptile scent strong, beads of guilty sweat a wicked tell. Her ghost eyes drift to the winter rosary of pregnant rats, heavy corpses hanging, their shadows stretching his way. Her teeth piercing his neck, drunk on butcher blood, whisper stories of misery waiting, and she disappears. I love it. Wow. Wow. I know. That was fun. You just made that as a... You made a whole new form out. I was like, you couldn't even have to put nothing on there. And I was like, not knowing. I just... I loved doing that project with Cindy. It was so easy. But it's because your work and Alessandro's... We both read you anyway. And it just worked so well together. And it just made it so easy for us to create our own work on that. It just wouldn't have worked without your original material. <laughs> who, who wrote, who wrote the intro? Intro? Yeah, who wrote the intro for that book? Oh, that was, um... Oh, that was... Linda! It was Linda and Alessandro. They both wrote the <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I just had a fangirl moment because I'm I'm on my phone and I can't see anybody except for uh, GU, which apparently is me. I didn't realize <laughs> Stephanie Ellis was on this call. So I'm like, oh, my God, Stephanie, I've never heard your voice. I love your work. This is like, I'm totally fangirling now. I'm like, oh, I'm going to call it Stephanie Ellis. This is cool. <laughs> we have actually spoken before, I think, because we were in the same Fright Club. Oh, yeah. Oh, but that was years ago. I don't remember that now. <laughs> that was before last month. I don't remember now. <laughs> but I do remember that now. Actually, you. Actually, you. if you throw the screen across, uh, uh, um, you'll see more boxes with people's faces and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm just back over here. It actually says join, so I've been like, am I even on this call? I don't know. <laughs> I could be having a moment. <laughs> that's why you're not, that's why you're not coming up on camera. You've probably got, uh, two instances of Skype running on your phone. Yeah, huh? That's what happens with that. Usually it oh, ends up. Okay. But, uh, that's just a theory of mine. I don't know. Oh, you know what? I do actually probably know how that happens. Originally, when you sent the link, I clicked into it to make sure it worked ages oh, yeah. ago. So I bet it just logs it in then at that time. It does. It does. Okay. So, that's what, that's what's going on there. Um,. I have no idea what to do about that. We'll just live with it now. We have about ten minutes left, unfortunately. I have to turn back into a pumpkin. <laughs> um, what I would like to know now from all three of you, uh, you have a collaborative project you've mentioned that you're working on. Um, what else? Let's start with uh, our original order, Linda. What do you got going? Well, I have several work coming out in uh, anthologies that I can't say too much about. Um, but the latest things on the pile, I have a story in Predators 
Eye of the Demon, not a poem. No. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of poetic language in there in a very different part of the story. I'm just saying, because that's how I roll. Um, I have a poem in other terras, and it's a shape poem, so I love shape. Concrete poem. Like I said, I have a draw boom. Yeah, boom. I don't even know how to say it. D-R-A-B-B-U-N. Which was a lot of fun because it's a very, like, I like strict formats because they, they kind of, I don't know why I like them. I don't know. I just, I've been playing with the Fibonacci poetry lately, which is really weird. Oh my god, I so love Fibonacci poetry. It's so hard to write. I workshop. Oh my god, I love it. My friend Bianca X, uh, real name Bianca Lips Briggs, um, writes a lot of it, and she's fucking phenomenal, pardon my French. Um, sorry, I'm looking at this book because I want to do a little bit of fanboying here. Um, her book, uh, The Galaxy is a Dance Floor, is full of amazing poetry. She is, uh, an African-American African poet. Um, she's part of Faya and a whole bunch of other projects. She's a powerhouse. She's a machine. She's a better reader. Um, that's just an on to you, Jamal. Well, um, writing-wise, um, I have about uh, four different things that I'm working on. There's an anthology that I can't say too much about, but, you know, it's it's a throwback. It's going to be a lot of fun with a lot of names in there that are really known. Um, I'm humbled and grateful um, that they even said yes. And, 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 you know, the thing about like about this community is um, how embracing they are to new voices mm-hmm. and, and, and to just things from a new perspective. There's, there's, there's like an openness to kind of like newness that I really appreciate that you don't find in a lot of other spaces. Definitely not in the science fiction space, I would say. No, hierarchical and a little more pretentious. Yeah, <laughs> respectfully. <laughs> um, <laughs> respectfully. Um, but then um, I also I'm working on um, the 50 Black Men in Horror. I'm being the editor on that book, so I'm getting new on guys who right on. in the space for a long time, and it's been very interesting. Um, a series of essays and um, interviews and stuff like that in that book with Sumiko um, so um, as other editor on it. Um, then uh, I'm also um, I have like I said my collection. Um, and the Dark Between Twilight. And then I have uh, a book um, that Linda read many years ago that I'll be writing on um, Child Change. Um, and that's a novel. So um, those that that's what I have in my repertoire of writing. In film, I'm working on like. Eight projects um, simultaneously, so it's wow. a, lot, a lot to do. It's a lot to do. Um, yeah, you have a ton of stuff going on. And you even you just finished doing some film work with a friend of mine too. I know, um, yeah. and that's exciting. I'm not going to say anything about that because I don't know if you can say anything about that. So. Not necessarily. No, I can't. But but it's going to yeah. be an exciting uh, project um, that I think a lot of people are going to learn from. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And then it's also Kyle Mad Five, like you said. We're in that. Yeah. It's coming out in September. I'm excited I, about that. I have two pieces in that. Um, with some of some dope names. I mean, there's also um, this whole hybrid um, release. Mm-hmm. As well, you know, Linda's in that as well. Um, and then there's also um, uh, I have a Dwarf Star. I'm like nominating the Dwarf Star for the first time. So we're we'll a pump called Colony. Um, check it out if you can vote. Uh, <laughs> I'm really proud of that one because. I'm, I'm, I'm really like a long-winded person that you can tell from this interview. Um, so it comes out a lot of times with my written work. <laughs> so for me to get something so small to say what I needed to say, that was like a, a accomplishment for me. Um, yeah, I struggled. I'm really good. I write really short poems a lot of the time. But, um, yeah, I'm very, I can also be very, very, very long-winded. Um, my first collection is exceptionally long. If the publisher accepts the whole damn thing, I'd be ecstatic. Angela, same question over to you, my friend. Um, well, speaking of collaborations, um, I should say, Jamal, I got you. I, I know I owe you something, and I will give that to you. <laughs> 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 it, 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 it's been one of... The, it's been an incredible month in the way of being broken. There's just like, I don't know what didn't happen this last month, uh, from a death in the family to wow. a brown recluse fight, which has always been a fear of mine. And now I know it's not that big a deal, honestly, but, you know. And so, recovering from all of that, I'm ready to get back to everything. But while I've been kind of in this um, hell, is a good way to put it, I would say hell on earth, um, I've been writing a novel. I chose this month. Oh, nice. uh, to write my first novel, and um, and I am doing it pretty fast because I have a, a timeline. I have somebody like kind of waiting for it. You know, you don't want to mm-hmm. like just lose that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I am at yeah, <laughs> I think I'm at forty three thousand something words right now, and I'm wrapping it up. And just last night, as I'm doing the edit and the cleanup and getting ready to tie the three narratives together, I liked it. So. That's my encouragement to everybody writing. You can. I've been working on this thing, and it's been a pile of hot shit for the last month. And I've just been questioning myself every night as I push this word count out. What am I doing? I am wasting a month. I should not be doing this right now because I have all this other stuff. But I will say writing kept me sane during all this time, and edits are where the magic happens. So don't give up. Just keep on going with that pile of hot shit. Because it will. Yeah. Some, something good will come of it. Um, other than that, I've got the collection with uh, Maxwell Gold, uh, Mobius Lyrics. I've got three stories left on my plate um, this year that I've, I've, I've promised that I have to write. And one of those is to Jamal for something he's doing, which I will not speak of because it's his. And if he wants to speak of it, he can. And uh, yeah, then uh, I've got a poetry collection I'm working on with three other poets, kind of like a Tortured Willows. Um, three poets that are not known as poets. I'm finding I really love that. It's kind of like poetry mm-hmm. camp with three other people. And you all work together. You put together collections. So I'm doing that, and that will be next year. And I know there's okay. something else that I've forgotten that somebody's going to tell me that I forgot, and I can't remember. Oh, oh, Unquiet Spirits. Um, the oh, yeah. Yeah. With, yeah, <laughs> with Lee Murray. I'm like, I know somebody's going to talk to me about this. It might be Lee Murray. Oh, yes, because it is Lee Murray. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we've got Unquiet Spirits, which is 21 Asian uh, women speaking of 
the experience of being an Asian woman through the perspective of horror. And that's coming out on February 14th. And straight to my house. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) We love that. That's why I will buy that book thing. And that's coming out from Black Spot Books, I should say. And Lindy has just been amazing with that. She's awesome. Um... I, want, I, um, I am running out of time, but I, I wanted to address this um, real quick with you, Angela. Um, I learned something recently, and it, real briefly, tell us a bit about um, the island and what you've been uh, learning about your, your own heritage and past and whatnot recently. Oh, yeah. yeah that's a, and I will be brief. Um, when I started writing Tortured Willows, it was, we were, well, we, we were each, we decided we were going to write about being an Asian woman, basically. And I'm 25% Shimanchu or Uchinanchu, it's like five names for the indigenous people. Um, but it, it's something that I didn't really think was going to be a big deal to me. I thought, well, I'll just write about rice. And, you know, my grandmother's teeny tiny feet. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. pretty much it, you know, and, and origami. I can write about origami, you know, as a metaphor for life and how we're folded. And then I started getting into it because uh, I started doing the research. And one of the things with Shimanshu is uh, the Japanese imperialistic government, not, not trying to point fingers at anybody, um, but they tried to eradicate um, the people's culture of Shimanshu because they don't want to give the island back. Um, so they're illegally occupying Okinawa, Okinawa Prefecture, which is actually the Ryukin Kingdom. And um, they put the military bases on there because it's a lot of money, so the American military is there. And mm-hmm. they take up, I, I, I don't have figures in front of me, but I think it's like over 25% of the island, and they are destroying the environment, they are digging up uh, holy sites, which are called Utaki, and burial sites, of because the Shimanchu value all the dead, so Japanese... Mm-hmm. Lost you. We lost Angela. Oh, oh, there you are. Yeah, sorry, if my if my phone uh, goes out with the screensaver, mm-hmm. then I I lose the call uh, temporarily. Uh. But <laughs> yeah, pretty much that's it. The American military is like digging up these sites, and they're using this sand and this dirt that's containing ancestors and war dead as like filler for whatever. And there's also the the problem of the American military men don't get prosecuted for sex crimes from the Japanese government or the uh, Shimanshu government. And so if they rape a a woman, then it's okay. Like, they just get kind of a slap on the wrist and probably restations. And so there is the highest highest rate of sexual abuse and violence there. The youngest victim was nine months old um, than anywhere else. So... That's kind of become my mission. When I did all that, it tore me apart. Of course, I didn't know any of this, and here I'm 53, and this is 25% of who I am, but a large part of who I am because I didn't really know the the other part of my family, you know, the, right. the the Scottish part. You know, I don't really know anything about that at all. And so I found out all this stuff, and then it kind of became my mission to try to, you know, it's like they have a hard time articulating and communicating with the world you know, what is happening. And so that's why I'm writing this novel. It's about the situation there. 
um, through World War II and the different things that happened. And it's fiction because this is not my story to tell in a realistic way. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so that's why I'm working so hard on it. And it has kind of taken over my existence to try to be a little bit of a voice, maybe, and try to shine some light back on this. So I appreciate you asking that question because that's kind of, I used to write because, you know, that's what I do. I'm a writer. But when I wrote Tortured Willows and found out all that stuff and it kind of shook my world, to the, like the foundations, and actually, like built built bridges for my mother and I because we haven't talked to each other in forever. But mm-hmm. now I had to come back and ask her questions, and and then realize why she, why our relationship was like it is, and why her mother's relationship, and it's all stemming from this horror that happened back in World War II, and even a little before, is still affecting generations. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I, I won't go on because I know we're, you know, pressed for time and everything. But, yeah, thank you for bringing You're that welcome. up because that is my soapbox now. I've never really had a soapbox, but that's it right there. It's a good one to be on, you know. I did good representative of the kind of freedom that American military stands for in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's a that's a subject for another day now. Um, I will be looking forward to that book as soon as you can get it in my greedy hands. Um, and all of you, I love you. I adore every one of you. I appreciate you being here. I am surrounded by talent. Every single one of you, my co-host and my fellow poets. And uh, bless you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have loved you. From the first time of ready. Thank you, thank you. The feeling is mutual, um, and I'm headed to Jamal's site as soon as we're off this call because I want to go experience that too. So, uh, looking forward to it, my friend. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me, man. My pleasure. Um, we'll have to do a part two and get Steph Winovich in here. Um, I hope her baby is doing better. She was cranky this morning. Um, and, uh, that's all I can think of. Um, you guys have a great day. Bless you again, and we'll talk soon. Okay, bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. See you guys. Yeah.